David Greising is here. He's the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Dave, welcome back to the program. Thanks very much, Bill. Great to be with you. Is government getting any better? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question, isn't it, these days? Um, well, let's see. Uh, voters had a chance on Tuesday to let their views be known, and we saw in two suburban races uh, that they – uh, resoundingly reelected a couple of mayors with uh, federal corruption charges hanging over their head, or at least uh, investigations. Um, we've seen sort of across the board support for people caught up in this wide ranging corruption probe. We've seen family uh, matters of both father and son in the case of the Arroyo family getting caught up in corruption investigations. Uh, I, you know, fighting corruption in Illinois is a full-time job for me and everybody else at the Better Government Association, and I feel like we may need to call for reinforcements. Yeah, really. Uh, let's talk about some of those suburban races like Chris Getty and Lyons, and you guys have been crusading against corruption in Lyons. Right. Uh, we have done uh, one major investigation a couple of years ago where we found uh, allegations of uh, some uh, really uh, lousy real estate deals that benefited the mayor. It, it, after we published our story, the federal investigators uh, subpoenaed uh, Chris Getty's offices, also um, raided uh, the town hall, the village hall there. Uh, apparently, an insurance business he's involved in is caught up in all this. And yet uh, the voters of Lyons, uh, uh, at about 70%, uh, chose to send Mr. Getty back into office. And he follows, of course, his father, who himself uh, was caught up in illegal activity when his father was mayor years ago. And how about Crestwood, where uh, one of the guys caught up in the red light scandal, Lou Presta, is facing charges, and he was easily reelected on yeah, more than 60 percent of the vote. And I'll tell you, it's amazing um, the reach of that Safe Speed LLC, the red light camera company. Their name has popped up in connection with a number of different aspects of this very wide ranging, ranging federal corruption investigation. Uh, Mr. Preston has been charged with taking a five thousand dollar bribe uh, to promote Safe Speed also was charged with lying to the FBI and IRS about it. Um, this is the sort of thing that happens when um, when one gets tempted, allegedly at least, uh, when one gets tempted to uh, take a little money on the side, despite being a public official. And voter turnout does not help, does it? No, the voter turnout, uh, not surprisingly, uh, in these municipal elections, um, when there's no big race to bring people to the ballot, to, to the to the voting booths, uh, it's not surprising you see voter turnout. The phenomenon that happens, though, is that the, the, the loyalists and true believers and those who are part of a party machinery to the extent one exists in the suburbs, they're the ones who come out. And, and so the, um, the incumbents have a real home court advantage, and that's one of the reasons that you see people like Presta and Getta Getty being voted back into office. That said, in, in both of those cases, they did have spirited competition this time, which is better than no competition, which is what they have sometimes seen in the past. And we should talk about the linebacker's brother up in Medawa, Chris Erlacher, charged in a sports betting ring and then pardoned by Trump. 
managed a write-in campaign, and I checked the uh, the results Friday afternoon and found from the Lake County Clerk that Erlacher has 151 votes, write-in votes, and Jess Ray, who was on the ballot, had only 104. So, David, uh, pending certification, it looks like the linebacker's brother, pardoned by Trump, is the winner. <laughs> what do we say that sometimes we get the government that we deserve? Um, and uh, in this case, yeah, his record is is clean thanks to the president, uh, former President Trump. Uh, in this case, at least, it was not official corruption that was being uh, alleged. It, it was illegal gambling. Uh, but it just goes to show that uh, people like their mayors, and once they've elected them, no matter what happens in some cases, um, they keep sending them back into office. Now, I want to preface the next question that uh, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, and I don't mean the question to reflect on any of those three races. But over the years that you and I have been covering or investigating corruption in Illinois, you're left with the impression that despite all the indictments and convictions and all the listening secretly by the feds, too many just keep stealing, David. Uh, Explain this to me. Why is it, do you think? It's really uh, hard to believe that it keeps happening and happening and happening. I think a lot of it has to do with um, a lack of consequence, a lack of political consequences. Certainly there are legal consequences, but as we've seen in just the numbers that we have listed, um, people are sent to office despite allegations, suspicions, even charges against them again and again. And um, we're seeing, though, the the lack of interest in true reform in the legislature this spring. You know, as after the the remarkable fall of Michael Madigan, uh, which kind of came finally came about uh, in January this year after, um, you know, the, the federal corruption probe that is really centered on his uh, apparently illegal activity, although he has not been charged and says he did nothing wrong. Uh, the the state legislature uh, set up a, a special commission to uh, pass a what was expected to be a wide-ranging ethics reform. Uh, that commission basically shut down as soon as COVID hit and basically was, was never to be heard from since. Uh, some of that work is resumed now in the legislature, but the best we're seeing so far is a six-month ban on uh, former elected officials becoming lobbyists. That is just about nothing. It takes six months probably to sign a lobbying client. And um, states that, that are serious about uh, ethics in their government, they have more like a two-year uh, ban or revolving door ban, it's called. That's the proposal that the Better Government Association has proposed. Uh, some are satisfied with a one-year uh, ban from moving into lobbying. And that sort of revolving door uh, and the ability of lawmakers to lobby uh, other elected officials, uh, which happens is very, very common in Illinois. Those are the sort of things that create a culture of corruption. And that's what we have. And cultures don't change overnight. Cultures take years and years to change. It's 
good to see that Mike Madigan, uh, after years of, of issues that people thought smelled bad, it's good to see that he had paid a political consequence. And it's good to see that Ed Burke is being held accountable uh, in a court of law or in the process, at least, uh, even though he, too, uh, does not admit any wrongdoing. Um, it's good to see that the that people are now being held accountable. But this has taken a long, long time, and we have a lot of work to do before Illinois has anything close to being an accountable and rep- representative government. And, of course, it's a scandal how much, how many millions that special interests regulated by the state can donate to legislative candidates or parties. Any chance of reforming that? Uh, well, I, I would say given the lack of progress we're seeing so far in this session of the legislature, uh, we we ha- don't have great cause for high hope that we we stay in the fight and, and others do as well. Uh, there is a move to put uh, limits on um, how much lobbying certain uh, public utilities and others can do. As you know, Commonwealth Edison uh, is at the center of the public corruption investigation that ensnared Mike Madigan. Um, uh, there, there are money. Money is the root of much evil in politics, and limitations on spending might be helpful. But when you see how much money, say, Madigan had accumulated over the years, not just to his own uh, political fund, but uh, tens of millions of dollars in the Democratic uh, it, uh, Party fund and in, and in the, uh, the, his ward fund, et cetera. Even when we try to put limits, um, uh, the politicians find ways to collect money. And, of course, recent Supreme Court rulings have not helped. The Citizens United ruling especially has really kind of opened the gates and, and basically made political spending sort of a free-for-all across this country. We're talking issues with David Greising. He heads up the Better Government Association. We should talk about uh, Mayor Lightfoot, Dave, because uh, she's been feuding with the governor on a couple of uh, fronts. Uh, a week ago Friday, uh, the, the governor signed the bill expanding bargaining rights for the teachers union. And on the following Monday, he signed the bill that puts a multi-million dollar liability on City Hall for more pensions uh, for a certain category of firefighters. What's your take on the f- the feud between Lightfoot and Pritzker? Well, first of all, Prisker and Lightfoot would would not agree to uh, to us characterizing this as a feud, but it's quite obvious that Governor Pritzker is doing Lori Lightfoot no favors uh, in signing both of those bills. Uh, the um, the firefighter pension bill uh, that gives uh, full pensions with the three percent compounded interest to firefighters born on or after January. 1st of 1966, uh, that's going to cost the city, according to the, to the mayor's office, as much as $30 million a year. And that is piled on top of a pension system that right now is 18% funded. When best practices are something around 90% funding, the firefighters pension fund already struggling at 18% funding. Uh, the the worst thing for the mayor beyond just the firefighter cost is that it's expected that now the same thing will happen with the police pension fund, which is even larger and will create even more liability for the mayor. And then the the the, the school bargain the school teachers union bargaining power 
issue is really a, a kind of stick in the eye, uh, not just from the governor. He signed the bill. The legislature passed it. And it is um, something that uh, the, the CTU has really been a nemesis of Mayor Lightfoot almost from day one. Obviously, they backed Tony Preckwinkle, her opponent in the mayoral race, and they have fought her tooth and nail about reopening, including this week with the pushback on going back to on the high schools reopening. And so the, the governor signed a bill that broadly expands the bargaining power of the Chicago Teachers Union. There are some who say, well, it's really not that big a deal because informally issues like class size and outside contractors and some of the other issues covered in this bill were kind of informally part of bargaining anyhow. But to put that into the law and make those topics that now can be bargained, uh, is it really weakens the mayor's position and also symbolically uh, lets her know where she stands uh, with, with the governor. And, and so this mayor... Uh, I think more so than any mayor in recent memory seems to have no standing in Springfield whatsoever. I mean, we can't really point to a big success that Mayor Lori Lightfoot has had in Springfield two years nearly into her term. Uh, and that's a big problem uh, for when a mayor of the city of Chicago can't get the work done in Springfield. And on top of all of that, Tony Preckwickle rolled out a county party resolution, non-binding, but nonetheless a stick in the eye again, to uh, support an elected school board. Uh, where's the BGA on an elected school board? Well, we would agree with uh, the critics of the proposal by State Senator Robert Martwick, which he's been pushing for some time, that a 21-person elected school board is unwieldy and hard to manage. There are other risks with regard to elected school boards that have to do with the fact that uh, they often become uh, subject to big and costly uh, election battles, pitting the charter school backers against the union movement. And so that while there's this idea of putting kind of parents and uh, local school council uh, representatives onto the school board, what happens in real life is that the school boards are running the risk of being captured by certain special interests. And so um, we, we uh, do not support the elected school board proposal that's in the legislature right now. The mayor has talked about a hybrid of some sort. And uh, I wrote a column for the Tribune recently saying, dear mayor, uh, you have, you, you've, you've indicated you don't like the elected school board proposal, but where's your proposal? Because she's running out of time. Uh, you know, basically, there's about two more weeks before a proposal can be uh, put through normal uh, legislative process. And then if anything happens, it, it would have to happen very late in the session. And the mayor's staff has not shown the wherewithal to uh, pull the levers and pulleys in order to make something like that happen at, at the end of the session. And so the mayor is, uh, is running a significant risk of having the elected school board jammed down her throat by Tony Preckwinkle and others. Now, if you look at it from Preckwinkle's position, <laughs> this is an issue that was a big one for Mayor Lightfoot. She said during the campaign that she favored an elected school board. She almost immediately changed her mind upon being elected. Uh, and, and so there's a sense of just desserts, uh, probably, from the likes of Tony Preckwinkle and other critics of the mayor. 
Now, the mayor says she tries to be ethical, doesn't want to buy votes either in the city council or the legislature. But as you say, her inability to get things done in Springfield has ominous implications. So what should she be doing? Well, I think she needs to take a close look at at her her staffing. Her intergovernmental operations uh, team appears to be quite weak. Um, based on some reporting I did around the time of the lame duck session, uh, it appears that her staff did not see uh, this elected school board bill coming, uh, which is uh, hard to believe. Uh, it's based on my reporting. Uh, it seems that she dealt with uh, state Senate or Senate President Don Harmon's office and uh, was in the position of she was able to stop the school board proposal from going through during the veto session or the uh, I'm sorry, the lame duck session. But um, but she lost out on um, uh, the um, the firefighter pension issue. And, and so she needs to fix that problem and she needs to find some uh, allies in uh, in Springfield or find uh, emissaries who can go down there and get some of that work done. Uh, under Mayor Rahm Emanuel, for example, he had uh, Michael Sachs as a uh, um, an unofficial advisor and representative down there working deals with even Governor Bruce Rauner, uh, which was not easy to do, but they worked together on some school funding proposals that they ultimately got to an agreement on. Mayor Lightfoot has not shown the ability to play that game. She doesn't have to buy votes. Uh, you know, that, that overstates the situation down there. What she does need to do is she gets she needs to get involved in the work that is required to uh, to get things done in Springfield. And she so far has not shown an ability to accomplish that. What do you think? Is she going to be a one-term mayor? Uh, you know, it, she still has a long ways to go, Bill. Um, you know, she still has time, and and, and those who wish her well uh, would like to see her turn this around. I think the 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 betting is among people in 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 politics and in the business community. Uh, the betting is that she's very vulnerable right now. Uh, there's been some talk, although many have denied it. There's been some talk that the business community uh, has been searching for an alternative to uh, Mayor Lightfoot that they can support because they did come around and support her in the runoff against Tony Preckwinkle. Um, whether I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so bold as to predict that she will not be reelected, but it will be an uphill battle for her. And she's going to have to show uh, some impressive growth in order as, as a, as a, uh, the, a manager of the city, as well as as a politician, in order to um, uh, to rally and come back from behind and uh, secure re-election. Hey, we should talk about the former state senators, Mike Noland and James Claiborne, who won their lawsuit to collect pay raises, raises that they voted against. That's not right, is it? <laughs> You know, this sort of reminds you of uh, the, the, the on the national level, some of the people in Congress who were against the, the Joe Biden American Rescue Plan and then claimed credit for some of the spending that is happening as a result of it. It just it just shows you, I think really what it shows us is a lack of respect that politicians sometimes have for the public that, that, that they think we lose track of how they vote and uh, are gullible enough to uh, buy uh, such specious arguments. And, uh, you know, 
I've learned, if, if anything, over the years, I've learned that the public uh, is not as gullible as politicians sometimes think. We, we talk about uh, the likes of Chris Getty being sent back. That's not because the public down in lines doesn't know Chris Getty. They know him and they're willing to take the whole package. Uh, you know, I guess I guess he uh, gets the streets plowed and potholes filled. I, I don't know what his magic is down there, but it is it is really disappointing when politicians disrespect the public uh, so much. Finally, we should talk about the Tribune because you used to write a column there uh, on Easter Sunday, no less. News broke that there was going to be a resurrection at the Tribune because a couple of out-of-towners emerged as white knights to put in a bigger bid than the uh, the uh, capitalists who were almost ready to get control of the Tribune entirely, the uh, vulture capitalists. What is your take on the resurrection of the Tribune? Well, first of all, Bill, one of the reasons you're such a great radio person is you talk about Easter news and resurrection. It's like you you do know how to spin a sentence there. Um, but but this, this is uh, <laughs> this is you know as, as a former business columnist, uh, I, I would say a couple of things. First of all, uh, big you know money tends to win, and Alden Global Capital, which controls the Tribune right now, uh, probably can't keep pace with Stuart Bynum Jr. and Hans-Jörg Wies, uh, the two billionaires who have decided to try to outbid Alden for ownership of Tribune Publishing. Um, so this may be fought out for a while, and Alden is known to be very, very stubborn once it gets its grip on an asset like uh, Tribune Publishing. But I doubt they have the state. I doubt they have the deep pockets to hang in there. And it looks as if these and Bynum are committed to this. Um, I would say that this will take a little while to play out in terms of getting a deal and then closing the deal. Uh, the real question is, how long would it take uh, if if, if Hans Jörg Wies winds up with control of the Tribune, which seems to be the plan the two billionaires have? Um, how long will it take him to uh, learn enough about journalism to be an effective owner, uh, to put the right people in place to run, uh, to lead the resurrection of the Tribune, uh, to try to lure back the many, many people who have left the Tribune through buyouts or finding better jobs or, sadly, leaving journalism altogether? Uh, it's good news for Chicago and for the Tribune that this paper that we've watched atrophy before our very eyes might one day get stronger. But I'm afraid that we're in for a long haul before that happens and that um, uh, the damage to uh, journalism and to our uh, information uh, of the residents of Illinois, the damage has been done and it's going to take a long time before we're anything close to being what we would consider back to normal. And it would be good for good government, too, if the White Knights could prevail. Well, yes. Uh, you know, there's nothing like uh, accountability journalism. And it does sound from what little we know of Hans Jörg Wies uh, that that's what he would hope to bring back. We certainly have seen in the case of The Washington Post what a well-intended and savvy, uh, tech-savvy billionaire like Jeff Bezos can do to uh, really bring that that what was a stoddering newspaper back and to become a leader in the industry, not just in terms of their great reporting, but in terms of their digital presentation, et cetera. Um, that can happen, but it's not as easy as Jeff Bezos and his billions have made it look. And um, 
and Mr. Beast is in his 80s. Um, no prior experience that I'm aware of, at least in in publishing. Um, doesn't live in or know Chicago very well. Uh, so there will be a lot of challenges uh, ahead of him if indeed he gains control of the Chicago Tribune. That's David Greising. He leads the Better Government Association. Dave, thanks so much for being with us again. Time for the roundtable where we just get to tell the truth with Lynn Sweet at the Sun-Times. Hi, Lynn. Hi, everyone. Ray Long at the Tribune. Hey, Ray. Hey there, Bill. Greg Hines of Cranes. Hey, Greg. Sir. And Heather Sharon of WTTW. Hey, Heather. Hey, Bill. Well, Greg, we've got to talk about your survey first because... Uh, the survey that you guys put out with a couple of other uh, news media outlets uh, really reflected what we've been saying here on the show for several months. Tell us what the findings of these couple of thousand uh, people was. Well, uh, two things. First, I'll tell you the results, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the methodology, because this is not a conventional poll. Um, we assembled a panel uh, that's going to continue. We're going to question the same panel quarterly of uh, more than 2,000 people. Uh, most of them from the city, some of them from suburban Cook County. It's weighted by uh, uh, race, uh, sex, uh, geography, and so forth to, to be to be a representative sample. And uh, they're pretty grumpy about the future of Chicago. This this was not intended to to go after a particular politician or politicians, but more designed to think to find out what's on people's minds and what kind of job they think government is doing. And they clearly weren't very happy. I mean, well over 7 in 10 said that the city's headed in the right direction. Uh, only 16% gave the mayor a, 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 an excellent or a good job approval rating. Prisker's numbers were considerably higher, but this is this is the city in Cook County. If they're not high, not high here, where are they going to be anywhere else? Um, you know, there were some good signs in there. Uh, people say Chicago is a great place to visit, which it is. Uh, they said it's a pretty good place to uh, uh, to work, and they're a little more chipper about their own little part of the world, their own neighborhood, than the city as a whole. Uh, but my kind of takeaway is that, was that people are really upset about the condition of Chicago's public schools, uh, where we've had this this year-long, unending warfare between the mayor and uh, and uh, and the union uh, with COVID in the background, uh, which leaves absolutely no predictability for Chicagoans at all. Uh, and they, people indicated they clearly want to see change. They're not happy. And together with some anecdotal evidence from legislators uh, and some statistics from CPS, significant numbers of city people now are starting to abandon the school system. Uh, there's uh, a big problem for a mayor who already has her plate pretty full. Yeah, Lynn, I wasn't too surprised about this because of crime and politics. How about you? Were you surprised? Well, I know it's a rough patch for the mayor now, and I wasn't surprised necessarily, but it, this is in the context of a historic, never before in a lifetime uh, set of circumstances. So it's uh, kind of easy to blame the mayor because things haven't worked out as smoothly as you want. Now, that's just on the COVID-related aspect of what might contribute uh, to how people think of her. The crime, of course, is something no mayor has been able to seem to get under control, and that remains a blemish for uh, what, no matter who's at the helm and she's the, you know, the buck stops with the mayor. Heather, does the mayor's office think things are this bad? 
They do not. They believe this poll or survey um, is not methodologically sound, and they say they have internal polling that shows the mayor in a much firmer position politically. But um, since I haven't seen that data, I certainly can't vouch for it. Uh, but we heard the mayor say today that she's well aware that there's a good deal of anger and frustration out there in the city on any number of issues. And when you sit in that fifth floor office at City Hall, you wear the jacket for all of those. And I don't think any of us expect the mayor to be able to coast to re-election if, in fact, she does run as everybody expects her to. Yeah. Hey, Ray, who is Mike Noland and James Claiborne, and why should we care? Well, these are two former state senators, and uh, they were two senators who voted for a series of uh, bills in Springfield that basically said, uh, you know, the the money's tight here, uh, and this is the way it was in the last few years, so uh, during 2009 to 2016, uh, they were on roll calls that said, hey, we'll forego a piece of our our uh, raise for the year. We won't uh, do a cost, the annual cost of living that are automatically granted under the law. And so they filed suit. Uh, now, they're both retired. Nolan is actually a judge. They filed suit then saying those times that they uh, – didn't get their cost of living raises uh, were wrong and they should be refunded. Well, it's gone into the courts and the courts are saying, now, you know what, that's right. And Susanna Mendoza, the comptroller, is saying, wait a second, these guys are grifters. They voted one way. They voted to hold off on uh, these increased payments for the cost of living and now they even at that time they even uh, patted themselves on the back for it nolan put out a press release you know saying uh, what a great thing it was to hold down costs etc and now um they are getting as much as 70 to 90 thousand dollars back uh they're both uh, out of the legislature and uh, they're uh lawsuit could cover others who voted against them too so we could be up for a big bill here and uh mendoza is pretty hot about it trying to uh say this doesn't make sense well that's not right you can't collect pay raises that you vote against greg what do you think I'm with uh, I'm with Susanna Mendoza, and I fully echo uh, Ray's word choice of the word grifters. I mean, it takes even in this state, which has no shame when it comes to public pensions, none at all. I mean, earlier in the week, the the governor signed a bill that's going to increase property taxes in the city of Chicago significantly, according to the mayor. And uh, you just kind of shrug and say, "Wow, all the unions deserve it." Um, uh, even in this state, voting against a pay raise, voting against a uh, an increase in pensions, and beating your chest about it, and going before voters saying, "See, support me. Look at what I did," and then suing later to get the money. That's, <laughs> that's oh, uh, no, I'm I, I'm sorry. That's uh, that's over the top. Both these gentlemen ought to be ashamed that they would pull such a stunt. What, what do you think, Lynn? Is this over the line even for Illinois? Yes, the technical term is chutzpah, <laughs> and there's no. Uh, they they have dug, they have dug themselves into that corner of 
of impossible to explain. And it's, you know, sad to say, we've all been around a while, and stories like this just are not surprising. They come around. And however, however reporters try to do stories to fix loopholes and systems, to put, you know, fill the fill that hole, make see if things can be just done in a more obviously sane way. There are always people that try to exploit the system, and yet this is another example. Uh, Heather, what is your take on this one? Well, the hits keep on coming for Illinois' finances, uh, doesn't it? And um, I think that this is going to be one of those stories that people point to when they are railing about corruption and politicians and and, and the poor financial shape uh, uh, that Illinois is in. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a talker, as we say in the business, because it's really easy to understand somebody suing for a pay raise that they voted against um, as just the height of hypocrisy. One little bit of golden uh, of, uh, gold here, that uh, gold lying to, to this uh, situation. The judge ruled that because of the nature of the suit, it only applies to the two right. who filed. Right. Uh, what that means is that every other member of the Illinois General Assembly or former member, if they want the dough, they're going to have to stick their hands out and we'll have a chance to whack them. Yeah, <laughs> and we may be seeing a flood of suits as a result. Uh, the other thing is that the ruling may be correct. <laughs> well, let's talk about Lori Lightfoot and her fight this week with Governor Prisker. These two are feuding on a couple of new fronts. A week ago, Friday, uh, the governor signed the bill expanding bargaining rights for the uh, teachers' union. And then on Monday, he signed the bill to uh, add more uh, pension costs for firefighters onto City Hall. Um, Heather, how do you read the relationship between Lightfoot and Pritzker? Chilly at best, although, of course, they were both at pains this week to say that they have a great working relationship and nothing but the highest respect for each other. But this is one of a number of blows to their relationship, and it was incredibly public. Um, the mayor uh, opposed this bill, which basically restores the Chicago Teachers Union to the status of every other union in Illinois and allows them to bargain or potentially strike over all sorts of issues, including um, class sizes and other um, things that have been really at the center of what the union has been trying to change in the Chicago public schools. Uh, the fact that the governor waited until pretty much the last minute to sign this bill, I, I don't doubt, was uh, an, at least an attempt to soften the blow. But this strengthens the union's hands in their negotiations with the mayor, and there is no doubt that that will complicate the mayor's already complicated efforts to reopen high schools to in-person learning. And the firefighters bill, which was an even more public dispute, will make the budgeting process more difficult, although supporters say it will mean that there will actually be truth in what the city's pension debt 
uh, is because this will basically remove the city's ability to play a shell game involving the birth date of firefighters and whether or not they're entitled to a 3% annual cost of living increase. So this is perhaps the nadir of the Lightfoot-Pritzker relationship as Pritzker prepares to run for re-election in 2022. He has got to have the unions behind him, um, and he made two big steps in that direction uh, since he hopes to win another time. Uh, Greg, you think there's any chance Lightfoot will take a pass on endorsing uh, J.B. for another term? You know, that's kind of an interesting question, Bill. Um, uh, you know, unless there's somebody, unless there's another Democrat running against him, and I've seen, seen no sign of anybody willing to tackle the billionaire governor we have, um, it would be kind of bad form. I mean, what do you, what do you get out of it except to uh, to roil him up? Uh, but uh, but Heather is right. The relationship is is cool at best. Um, uh, the the, uh, the school bill could have been a little worse than it was. Uh, there was uh, they negotiated it after Lightfoot screamed and yelled. They negotiated a follow-up trailer bill that uh, that excludes the length of the school day and year. If you remember, those are really big things that Rahm Emanuel always pushed. That you know, teach Chicago teacher working fewer hours than anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that is not a subject now that will be a subject of a mandatory bargaining and potentially strike. But uh, that's uh, a small. Uh, light and what's pretty much a dark, a dark situation. These two don't get along. I don't see any sign they're going to get, get along, but man, whether it gets to the point of her not endorsing him, um, I'm not sure if there's any percentage for her in that. Uh, Ray, what's your take? How serious is the feud? Well, I think it's serious, but I think uh, there are two politicians who have to get along, um, especially if you want to try to to help Chicago in the coming session here. And so you, if you're mayor of Chicago and you're governor of the state and you're both Democrats, you've got to at least try to get along here. Now, that's where they may be missing uh, Michael Madigan in, in Springfield, because no matter who the mayor was, he usually tried to separate city issues and state issues and tr- still try to help Chicago when he could. So um, we'll we'll see the test now here with a new speaker, uh, Chris Welch, in charge. But also these financial blows are just the types of things that the city doesn't need because people who pay property taxes will be holding on to their wallet and, and watching the dollar bills fly out of it. Now, the other issue here, like Heather nodded to with J.B. Pritzker uh, helping out his union friends that he wants to back him during the election. It's a it's a classic case where he has put his self-interest above the the cities, and the, there was no uh, a, a clear attempt to find a middle ground. Uh, Lynn, you've covered a lot of feuds over the years. Does this one look like a serious one? Uh, mid, mid-serious, I think uh, neither they have a uh, vested interest for both of them in not letting it escalate. I think it's a manageable feud. I think it's situational. I think uh, the uh, you know they they just have uh, a self-interest to to make things work at certain junctures and to go their own ways and others, like on the school board. Maybe it served both their purposes to to stake out some uh, some of that area. Uh, so the answer kind of is I don't know, but I don't think it will 
be we'll stop at the point that it is destructive to the reelection chances of one or the other. And the first test of that is really for JB uh, if he has any serious problem and needs help from every Democrat, including Mayor Lightfoot, to get out of vote. And Heather, on the school board, uh, tell folks how Tony Frankwinkle, the person that Lightfoot beat in the last election, rolled out a resolution in favor of an elected school board. Well, this has been a simmering problem for Lightfoot since she was elected. And if you can remember all the way back in 2019, she campaigned fully in favor of an elected school board, as did Tony Preckwinkle. However, once Lightfoot was in office, she discovered that the devil was in the details and that she, in fact, did not support the current proposal for an elected board, which would include 21 members. And she has vowed several times since she took office to introduce her own plan. We've not yet seen that plan, and I think people are getting a little bit frustrated that this is still in limbo um, after two years of Lightfoot being in office and, you know, J.B. Pritzker being in office and sort of the Democrats having super majorities in both the Illinois House and the Illinois Senate. So there's a sense of it's not clear why we why this can't get done, although it is, and it, right now it is mayor Lightfoot sort of standing in the way. And Tony Preckwinkle, through the Cook County Democratic Party Policy Board, sort of turned up that pressure just just a little bit on the on the on the General Assembly to say we need to make this happen. So uh, there's certainly no love lost between Lightfoot and Prisker, but there's even less love lost between Lightfoot and Preckwinkle, and this is another indication of that. And, Greg, we can see how the mayor is not going to be rushed on civilian oversight of the police. So um, how is this going to work itself out? Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, being a candidate is different than being a, than being a, uh, in, in office and governing. Uh, uh, and Lightfoot should have figured that out before by now, but you also should figure it out what, but when you make real clear promises in your campaign, you have to at least nod to them later and have to do something. Um, the, you know, the police one is particularly difficult because you have a consent decree that kind of complicates things. you got to make the feds uh, happy. At the same point, you don't want to really tick off the, the, the uniform rank and file. You have to have police doing their job or crime rates explode. But I, I'm with Heather on the school board thing. I don't understand it. The only thing now that is standing in the way of that thing becoming law, and I mean the only thing is Don Harmon, the president of the Senate, who's not kind of cool, who is kind of cool toward it. But I don't know if he's going to continue to be the dam if uh, if the thing whips out of the House. Uh, all public opinion surveys that I'm sure throw, show people dramatically for it. Uh, if it ever came to the vote in the, in the Senate, I'm told every single Democrat would vote for it. Um, uh, if Lightfoot's got a compromise plan that's a little more to her liking and maybe a hybrid board where she still gets to pick some of them, she needs to roll it out real soon or there's a danger that this train is going gonna, is gonna to go down the tracks and just run her over. Hey, Ray, tell us about the mood at the Tribune among you working stiffs now that a couple of out-of-towners have emerged to uh, outbid the vulture capitalists for buying the Tribune company. Well, among the rank and file, there is hope that uh, the – folks who have come in to uh, make a bid that is better than the one that Alden uh, Global, the hedge fund that is trying to take over the, the Tribune, is doing. The 
the hope is that it will go with the new bidders. And the reason is because Alden has increasingly showed its uh, desire to squeeze newspapers and uh, squeeze their payrolls and squeeze the life out of many papers throughout the country. Uh, the Tribune rank and file folks, the Guild, uh, do not want to have uh, this kind of ownership. Uh, we want to keep the paper robust and maybe improve upon it because we've lost some people over the last couple of years while this uh, whole negotiation is going down. Uh, Are you going to have to start wearing later hosen to the office now? <laughs> well, I'll be happy. Your reference is to the Swiss billionaire. His name is Wies, and he is uh, um, living in Wyoming, and he's a multi-billionaire, and he says all the right altruistic things that uh, uh, you want to hear, that he wants to make the paper better, etc. So um, we saw Alden's colors in a guild negotiation the other day when they said, well, uh, yeah, we'll give you a $400 bonus, each of you, if in exchange you'll give up all seniority rights and allow us to lay off whoever we want at any time. Four hundred dollars. You have to see the white knights showing up. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, get that, get, get that letter hosing, Ray. You got a better deal here. <laughs> Thanks to Lynn Sweet of the Sun Times, Ray Long of the Tribune, Greg Hines of Cranes, and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Up next, my colleague Kim Gordon. <laughs> This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. A recent survey by Lurie Children's Hospital shows the toll the pandemic has taken on 70,000 young children in the city. Joining me is Dr. Matt Davis, chair of the Department of Medicine at Lurie Children's Hospital. Dr. Davis, welcome to Connected to Chicago. It's good to be with you, Kim. Thank you so much for being with us today. So tell us a little bit about the study and the age range of these children. This study was a study of parents of kids from all 77 community areas across the city uh, and involved more than 1,500 households. Their kids in, in this study were uh, all the way up to age 17, and we focused for the purposes of, of discussing behavioral health with the parents, particularly on that 2 to 11 age group that's particularly vulnerable. And we've heard so much um, about the toll the pandemic has taken on teens and middle school students, but we we kind of have thought about the fact that maybe our younger kids were immune, didn't really going, you know, didn't really know what was going on. But that really doesn't seem to be the case from your study, right? What we found, Kim, is that the ways in which emotional or behavioral distress show up really differ by age group. So that while a teen or a tween age uh, child may be able to put some words to the distress that they're going through, the kids who are younger are often acting out, having trouble. Getting getting along with their siblings or perhaps uh, other family members, are having trouble sleeping, maybe losing some of their developmental milestones like potty training, and overall uh, having uh, more nightmares or even chronic headaches or abdominal pain. So these other types of symptoms, including physical health symptoms, can be signs of that emotional distress that's been brought on for so many by the pandemic. I know you said that, you know, children of all ages were affected, but you do also find that children in certain neighborhoods of the city were more affected than others? 
that's what's really important to emphasize about our findings. As we asked parents from all 77 community areas, we found that the concerns that parents have about their kids are really uniform when it comes to how upsetting this has been as an experience for preschool and elementary age kids. The proportions of parents reporting these behavioral health changes were very consistent across all the neighborhoods of our city. And so what recommendations are you making for parents? Well, what I suggest to parents is that the first call should be to their child's usual pediatrician or family physician or or nurse practitioner. They're the first line of consultation, questioning, and can serve often as a great source of support and suggestions for parents. It may be that some kids can benefit from behavioral health specialist services as well, Uh, but we know from our survey that while about one quarter of parents who were concerned about their kids' behavior were able to find a mental health specialist, about 20% of parents said they had wanted to find one but were not able to. And that's one of the challenges right now because we know that the need is greater than the supply in terms of these behavioral health concerns that parents have. And it's also, I'm sure, difficult to do a Zoom session, a mental health Zoom session, with a four-year-old. You're right, Kim, that there are some challenges. However, I would emphasize that my colleagues in behavioral health actually have used telehealth for the Zoom sessions uh, perhaps more effectively than any other specialty. We're very fortunate that we have the technology that's worked for so many families to provide that, that specialty support. Great. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for making the kids here in Chicago mentally healthy as well as physically healthy. Thanks for your time. So good to be with you. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Matt Mellon for production assistance. I'm Bill Cameron, WLS News. Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. 